All right. Well, all lines are full now. Going to be Andy and Kent and Clint and Art. And we start with Andy. Good morning. How are you, Bob? I'm good. How about yourself? Very well, thanks. Enjoy good. the show. Thank you, sir. Um, I have a question about uh, uh, pasture rangeland weed management. Okay. So I'm a small place, about 50 acres, and it hadn't been taken care of. We recently bought it, so it's a lot of weed. Uh-huh. Uh, I've shredded it, mowed it. You know, it's been taught that that's the thing to do, but just uh, your thoughts on there's a lot of you know, weeds despite that? Well, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, it all comes down, you know, at least to a point to what kind of weeds. Long-term, healthy pasture grass, which is usually, um, and do you run cattle on it or run yes, livestock? Yeah, just a, okay. yeah, about six head of cattle. Okay. Um, the secret to you know, getting good forage off of rangeland is rotational grazing. I mean, there are books on the subject now, and I don't think they're uh, even the worst skeptics uh, are admitting that moving animals around, and it doesn't matter how small the paddocks. There's a fellow over in East Texas that uh, has, I think, 105 acres, and he has it divided up to like 60 different little two-acre patches, and he moves his cattle almost daily, and this guy never fertilizes, does not supplement his cattle feed, gets about twice the market price on his cows because they're so beautiful, but that's beside the point. Uh, uh, the the rotational grazing will help you maintain your land and keep keep good grass on it in all but the most severe droughts, and that's that's going to be your long term goal. And good healthy grass will ultimately choke out the weeds. So the question comes down to what weeds are you fighting now? If they are are things that cattle won't eat, like thistles and uh, yes. Oh, maybe to some extent, whorehound, uh, they don't really like. You may almost have to go to spot spraying. You can spray um, this time of year while your coastal or whatever grass you're growing is browned out. Um, this time of year, you can spray with something like your vinegar orange oil mix, and it will knock the green foliage back very, very effectively. Shredding, uh, I pretty much keep the whorehound under control just by shredding, even in the winter months when I don't have a lot of grass up. And uh, you may want to um, increase your fertilizing. They're organic fertilizers. If you have the, the money to spend on them, they're just as cheap as the chemical stuff these days. And if you have the equipment to spread it, there are dry organic fertilizers out there. Or at the very least, if you're on a budget like most of us are, spraying with uh, a good liquid molasses, a feed-grade molasses. Now, if it has a little bit of uh, synthetic urea in there, it's not going to say organic, and technically it's not organic, but I'm, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to be doing and you're going to use this the effective rate seems to be about five gallons per acre which is about the cheapest thing you can do and uh it gives just really good results i would uh spray spray about oh two three times a year whatever the budget will allow and this is going to do probably more than other anything simple um, non-toxic thing you can do it's it will suppress some weeds and uh, it will like I say it'll get your grass growing to where uh, uh, I know a lot of coastal growers have gone to instead of spending 
you know, $20,000 four times a year out buying 2100 or something. They're spending, you know, two, $300 a year on the molasses and doing the same thing. So those are the things that I'm going to work on. But in general, I'm going to build my, uh, my grass, whether again, whether it's coastal or whether it's native grasses, that's what's going to give the long-term weed control, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I was going to put the Medina granular down, uh-huh. um, but I, I guess my question about the orange oil vinegar, I have a, a, a pull-behind tank spreader, yeah. or sprayer, but uh, what kind of, uh, I mean, obviously you want me to stay away, around, away from the Roundup, but what kind of uh, concentration for that? It's about a 200-gallon tank, um, but I... Am I going to kill the coastal if I use that? If you wait till the coastal's green, you will set the ghost coastal back. If you're spraying while the coastal is brown, it will have zero impact on it. Um, now, the thing about the vinegar orange oil is you use it straight. You don't dilute it with water. So um, it, it's good. you're looking at a lot of it. And if you opt to do that, you're probably going to buy your vinegar in a carboy or, you know, very least a, a barrel. Uh, I, you know, what I would, if it were mine and uh, I fight some of the same issues, I'm probably going to, rather than, you know, try to do the whole 50 acres with my, I use continental belt and sprayer for molasses and things like that, but, uh, I'm going to pick the places where I have the worst weed infestations. And in my pastures, I've got places where, yeah, I'll have uh, I'll have a bunch of stuff come up that I want to kill out. But for the most part, the weeds I have are scattered so widely through the fields, and, and there's no way that I really want to or any way that I can afford to have, you know, a crop that is just 100% weed-free. And if you're if you're raising stuff mainly for your own cows, that doesn't matter. Now, if you're raising hay to sell, yeah, I understand that people are pretty picky, and uh, and that's why we have what they call house hay or horse hay and and cow hay. But uh, to to try to achieve totally weed free hay is number one. It's it's almost impossible to do, and number two, it's totally unnecessary. And uh, I think it's these armchair ranchers that uh, have never fed animals that feel like they their hay has to be beautiful. The truth is that the cows get a lot more nutrition out of some of the weeds like clover and dandelions, and uh, those weeds are are better forage for the cattle than uh, than Bermuda grass is. So, so, so we're set up for rotational grazing. That was yeah. my plan. Oh, great. But, uh, over time, is it uh, they're going to be bulk the weeds or is that something i just shouldn't worry too much about that i i wouldn't worry about it and if you're doing you know rotational grazing is based on the condition of the next pasture it's not based on where right. the cows are now if it's yes, in drought right. or things to regrow they may eat the the paddock they're on down pretty low before you move them in but you will find you know within the first year you're going to see a huge increase in the uh uh, in the quality of your of your vegetation. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Good luck, and take some pictures, and let me know how it's going for you, Andy. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, Kent's up next. Good morning, Kent. Uh, good morning, Bob. Thanks good morning, sir. My call. Thank you for calling. Um, I got a couple of questions for you. Um, I built a new house in, out Congratulations. by and Blanco Road. Okay. Thank you. Um, in 2014, and I, I immediately got a bad case of brown patch. Okay. And uh, and I know you'd always said uh, to 
to use the ground corn, and, and uh, I did, and, and that pretty much got rid of it. I, I stopped watering as much as what I did. I just ch- kind of changed everything around. But mm-hmm. l- last year when we got all of that rain, um, it just it, it, that brown patch came back with a like a demon, and, and it killed a whole lot of the St. Augustine grass. So I was kind of curious. I had a couple of questions, but that was the main one. Um, what, what what should I be doing now to kind of get my yard ready to, to, to grow back again? Well, First of all, if you if your grass was killed, it probably wasn't brown patch. Uh, you probably had some grub worms. You had some other issues because brown patch will ruin the appearance of a yard. But brown mm-hmm. patch killing never kills more than about 90% of the grass. The grass always has enough green to come back. And if you're getting areas that are totally dead, and I saw a lot of this last summer, um, you're probably, you probably had some grubs in there as well, but that that's beside the point. The, the point is now, how do we get some good green grass back in Kent's yard? And that is, uh, I would be fertilizing this time of year, good organic, whether it's uh, Nature's Creation, Medina, Maestro Grow, any of the good organic fertilizers are going to be good for uh, your St. Augustine grass. I probably would put out uh, a corn, an application of cornmeal just on a preventive basis. Uh, we tend to see brown patch problems when we have uh, cool nights and warm days, and hopefully that's what spring's going to be all about. And uh, that's another reason. If it's showing up in the middle of the summer, it's probably not brown patch. It's something else. But um, And then I would be just looking at if you have areas that are truly dead that are bigger than, say, two feet in diameter, I would be putting some plugs of grass in there. Now, if you have parts of your uh, property out there where you have good grass, you can go dig your own plugs. Go dig up some little uh-huh. four-inch plugs, dump a you know small bucket of compost everywhere you take a plug up, and you won't even know you've done it. Um, uh-huh. The brown patch initially probably came in with your grass when you purchased it because most all of our grass these days is grown under high synthetic nitrogen, most of it over in Bay City, and it uh-huh. just, every, every load of grass comes in with a load of brown patch. And um, it's by the first year, end of the first year, you should be be beyond any of that. And that's why I hate to tell you to go out and buy more grass to cut into plugs because you're probably just bringing some more brown patch along with it. You should be able to control that totally with a cornmeal. But, hey, if you've got areas of your yard where the grass is good, just go dig up some plugs there. St. Augustine spreads very quickly when we get into a little bit warmer weather, and uh, if the patches are less than uh, two or three feet in diameter, the grass around it's going to spread back into that area very quickly for you. Okay, great, great. Um, the the thank you, Bob. The second question I had was uh when I when I built the house, the landscaping people um, it's a it's a garden home, so I don't mm-hmm. have a, a huge yard. Good, but they they planted some some. Uh, bushes on the side of my house to cover up my my uh power box and okay. my gas meter and all that yeah they planted japanese blueberries which i really liked uh-huh. but I, the second year they froze yeah. down to the ground yep and i dug them up replanted them then they froze again this year so mm-hmm. is there is there something that's like that kind of that'll that'll grow tall enough to cover the side of the house where the power box and all that how, is? But how tall ultimately does that need to be four feet six feet eight feet how yeah, high up are things probably Four, four to five feet would, would uh, give me plenty of uh, plenty of blocking to where the, you can't see all the power stuff from the sure. street. And this is a fairly sunny area. Well, there's a there's a there's a large uh, 
there's a large uh, cedar elm that's right there that they okay. planted that's done really, really good. So it does okay. get some sun, but it's not totally sunny. Okay. The the best shrub, in my opinion, and you may have to look around. Right now they're in short supply. Hopefully by spring you'll find a lot more of them. But there's a shrub yes. out there called xylosma. It's spelled like xylophone, X-Y-L-O-S-M-A. Uh, is cold hardy down below 15 degrees, so uh, it's only going to get hurt once every 25 years. Grows quickly, does not have insect or disease problems, can be trimmed to be very upright, or you can allow it to spread out and, you know, cover up a little bit bigger area. It does very well each way, either way. And that probably would be my first choice. Uh, green pittosporum uh, will grow that size. Green pit is very common uh, because it is so hardy. Um, and, and just I've got one be back door of my house that I'm guessing is 80, 85 years old. And it's uh-huh. been in Bernie. It's been through some very cold winters, as you can imagine. Um, Japanese yew is another possibility. Very cold hardy. It's not the northern yew. It's not the poisonous yew. But it uh It'll take the cold. It'll take the shade. It's not as fast to grow as the xylosma is, but uh, it would be very happy in a place like that. And uh, uh, there are also a couple of viburnums. Uh, now, they got a little nipped in October. They didn't get seriously hurt, but uh, your uh, viburnum sandanqua, your viburnum odortismum, there's one out there called chendo. Uh, any of those would be a good choice. And if you want some a little bit more traditional, uh, dwarf Burford holly uh, is a beautiful dark green, red berries in the winter months. The dwarf form will get to about five feet tall, so don't be misled by the name. Uh, standard Burford will grow 15 feet, which is why uh-huh. five feet is dwarf by comparison. That's a beautiful shrub, moderate in its growth rate. And um, again, you're basically in the stone oak area, which means you have lots of stones and not much soil. But if you add right. some compost and keep things mulched, uh, dwarf Burford would be another very good option for you. Uh, the final plant that I will suggest to you, and I think it's one that is an excellent plant, is a variety of Nandina. It's what they call compact, which means it grows to about five feet. Beautiful red color in the winter months, but evergreen. The the red leaves turn back to green during the growing season. Um, grows very easily, very few problems. If you have to stop watering in the summer months, you can go back to watering it once a month instead of once a week, and it'll still do beautifully for you. So look at compact Nandina as another possible option. Okay, great, great. Um, one, one last question, Bob, I, I, I listen to your show every weekend. Uh, a lot of times I, I don't, I don't write stuff down when I should. <laughs> hey, if I'm it's in, not your of, problem, you're not as interested in it. So I just appreciate you listening, true. but yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of, I've got these little, uh, little clover looking leaves that have come back in my yard pretty good, which I hadn't had before. And I know uh-huh. I hear you a lot of times say that you, you, you mix, uh, vinegar and orange oil or something like that and spray it on them and that kind of kills the clover leaves without messing with the grass it does but recognize that right now anything green out there is not a bad thing clover actually builds your soil rather than harm it so Uh uh, this year while you're getting over brown patch issues i'm going to ignore the clover if you want to do it you need to do it while your other grass is still brown but yeah the mixture Uh is a gallon of strong vinegar and two ounces of orange oil and if you got somebody in the family telling you, you got to get rid of those weeds, that's the way you go about doing it. Me, I'm just going to mow them off and be thankful there's something green out there. Yeah, that's probably the best thing to do is wait till next year when everything's a little better. To leave and you. when the grass will be working at choking it out on its own. Sure. 
Okay, Bob. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, you know talking with you, and it's always fun to listen to your show. Well, I appreciate that, Kent. Congratulations on your new home, and call me anytime. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Clint and Art and Penny. One open line. Grab it if you'd like. Good morning, Clint. Hey, Clint. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. How about yourself? Oh, doing pretty good. I got a question regarding my uh, pomegranate bushes. Okay. Uh, the fruit it uh, puts out generally is black inside. Uh, more, uh, it's not, and it's going to be white, no pink, and just an awful taste to it. Do you have Does a heavy fruit, pr- heavy fruit production, or very light fruit production? It's um, probably in between. Well, nothing, nothing light, other than when the okay. squirrel take a bite and knock okay. them down, but. Uh, <laughs> It's pretty decent. Yeah, there there are some different fungal diseases that start out on the surface and then get down into it. Get in the habit after, you know, pomegranate usually blooms late spring, early summer. After the fruit is set, start about every two weeks spraying them with a natural fungicide, either neem or actually garlic can be used. Even start earlier with garlic or soak some whole ground cornmeal in water. When you keep that fungus from ever getting started on that outer rind, it doesn't get inside, and you tend to get much better quality pomegranates. Okay, you said neem yeah. is a good thing, or just the uh, cornmeal? Whole ground cornmeal the soaked in water for 24 hours, then that liquid to spray. That's probably the cheapest. It's a little bit of effort, but it's certainly cheap and effective. Uh, If you want to go out and buy something, neem is a product that is made from uh, uh, actually a Brazilian tree, and uh, it's a both fungicide and insecticide. Uh, Garlic doesn't work so much to cure fungus as it does to prevent it. So those really are your three options, and all three of them should give you much better fruit on your pomegranate. Now, the, uh, can you make your own ground cornmeal out of deer corn? Uh, absolutely. In fact, uh, you don't even have to grind it. it. It's a little bit better if it is chopped up a bit, but, uh, you know, just whole ground corn. Any any of your corns will grow uh, the trichoderma fungus, and, of course, when you break it up, you are, uh, you're just making more surface area, which means you get more fungus more quickly but uh yeah you can take your deer corn and just use it straight or if you have a grinder where you can grind it all the better doesn't take very much you're looking at maybe oh i don't know a fourth of a cup of cornmeal per gallon of water so (laughs) you you if you you could have the old matate from 2000 years ago and grind that much corn without any issue and how often again did you say you spray it with it? I do it every couple of weeks. If we have a lot of wet weather, that's when we tend to have the most of it. A lot of cloudy wet weather where we don't get much sunshine. If it, you know, if it was like it has been the past week, I'd probably be spraying once a week. If it is like it was last summer, I'd be spraying every two to four weeks. And it's after the uh, fruit sets. Right. Good deal. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Thank hey, you I much. appreciate the call. You're sure welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Art's up next. Good morning, Art. Good morning. Greetings there, Bob. You're sure on a roll today. You can feel it over the radio. <laughs> you know, spring is in the air, even though it feels like winter out there. Damn, it was cold this morning and yesterday morning. But, uh, you know, when you look at the calendar and it says February, you know spring's not very far away. I can tell it in the plants. They're ready to burst forth. They certainly are. 
I'm going to probably, one, give a plug for a couple of tools you guys sell. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think they're a little expensive, but I would do it again and again. And that's uh, your Orion sprayers. Yep. Uh, I bought three of them so far, and I got a fourth one I sent to my sister in North Carolina. Oh, very good. Uh, and the other tool is is the uh, all the rotary you got to buy the shaft. And that oh, and yeah, that, that max max bit. Max bit is what it's called, yeah. Bob, there ain't nothing better. Oh, my <laughs> God. And for the listeners that don't know, Art's talking about this uh, heavy steel. That's why it costs something. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. heavy steel you put on the end of your carpenter's drill, and uh, if you put that that two-foot extension on there, you go yeah. along and, and never bend over to dig the holes for uh, you know, I last year I used it, and I'm late. I haven't got my potatoes in the ground yet. But last year, I think I, I think I dug like eighty holes in like ten minutes with that thing, and then just go along and drop that that section of potato in there and cover it over with your foot. I literally planted my potatoes this year without bending over. So yeah, I love the max bit too. Uh, and not bending over says a lot. I'm 72 <laughs> and uh, not as young as I want to be, but uh, you know what? That is just indeed over and over and over uh, the the best two in the garden. Well, uh, I I like them, and I don't think you're ever going to wear them out. Uh, no, and I got one for my sister in North Carolina. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, so it's good. Say hey, uh, two quick questions. One, Champanelle grapes. I bought three of them from you. I've got them. They're about uh, total twenty foot apart. Four wires. Uh-huh. Probably four years old. Uh, I trim them back uh, about 80%. I left some long shoots and wrapped them around. Mm-hmm. I hope that's okay. That's what I recommend. I am pruning the grapes that grow in our region. Now, this is not what you see in wine grape country, but for me, grape pruning is more thinning than it is pruning, and I think you'll get more grapes and and real good grapes that way. They have not filled me each year, uh, but any rate at the base, I've got a. Uh, I made some, uh, oh, some wooden, you know, things around the bottom of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I loosen the saw. I every year I put in uh, some green sand, some lava sand, and certainly some uh, glowing green, and uh, do that. Uh, I just did that about. Well, maybe a month ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, how often should I, or what other added? And and I also got those little packets from you of uh, mycorrhizae mm-hmm. fungus. Yeah, my. Uh, and uh, I throw that in there occasionally. Well, is there? You know, I should do. I I would never mess with success. If things are working well for you, don't change a thing. I think that you know, lava sand's going to last you ten thousand years, so you can probably stop adding that. You've probably added enough now. Mycorrhizal fungus, uh, once it's established, it's going to be there until something kills it. And since you're staying organic. Nothing's going to kill it. So I think you can drop that out of your program. If you plant new things, yes, I would very definitely inoculate with that. But um, fertilizer, absolutely, you need to repeat that and probably three or four times a year. Green sand uh, down where you are once or twice a year is fine. 
And beyond that, again, if it's working for you, don't mess with success. But I think I think two things you can start dropping out of that program are your lava sand and your mycorrhizae. Those are great things okay. to get started with, but once you've got them, you've got them. So I see no need to keep adding more and more. Okay, good. Uh, thank you. That's w- well, good info. Uh, other last question. Uh, it's my third little bailey tree, bay laurel, I've mm-hmm. got from you. Uh, I've killed two of them, uh, or the gophers got him. Uh, yeah. At any yeah. rate, I got a little one now. I took it out of a pot, planted it outside, uh, and I'm going to cage it and keep the grasshoppers, everything off. I sprayed it with neem oil. It looked like it may have something on it. I don't know. But is neem oil good or bad? To put on a bait leaf tree? Or? Well, two things about neem oil on the negative side. If you use it when it's real sunny, it can burn. So you want to use it early in the day or you want to use it on a cloudy day or you want to use it uh, you know, in shady conditions because neem is an oil okay. and it can burn in hot sun. Second okay. thing negative about neem is it does not keep. You date that bottle when you open it, and it's got a shelf life of about six months. Other things like spinosad probably have a shelf life of six years. But after six months, you're not going to uh, have much benefit from the neem. So buy little bottles, and uh, once you open them, you know, plan on using them up pretty quickly. And do store them at room temperature, not in a super hot garden shed. Uh, on the good side, neem is both an insecticide and a fungicide. The only insects I've ever seen on uh, on bay leaf are some scale insects, and neem would probably be what I would use to control them. But uh, they should not be a regular issue. If you start seeing scale, your trees are probably under a little stress. Uh, water stress is the most common thing, and you're, of course, in, in soil that drains very quickly. Um, so, yes, neem is a good product, uh, but I don't think you're going to have to use it very often, if at all. Uh, so you work at keeping the gophers away and uh, be sure that you're you know, watering adequately. Once those things, I've got a bay leaf tree that I planted about 20 years ago, and I haven't watered it in the past 10 years, and it's still growing and thriving. But I am not in soil that drains quite as quickly as yours does. So uh, if you have any issues, I think you're probably not watering enough initially. And then, of course, do what you have to do to keep the gophers under control. Okay. And what about feeding it? I just, uh, you can either use a dry granular fertilizer two, three times a year. You can use a liquid organic, uh, you know, a couple of times a month. If you're in a hurry for lots of growth, do both. With organics, you never burn. You're not going to cause any problems. But, uh, again, uh, I don't, very, very few of my friends do not live on a budget. We all have limited incomes and we have more things to spend money on than we have money. So, um, I, I think you're overdoing it if you feed more than that. And, you know, once your trees are established, you know, feeding once a year is probably going to be all you need to do. But if you're trying to get a bunch of growth, if you're making rue every night and you got all those leaves, feed a little bit more often. Okay, good. Uh, one last quickie. I also uh, planted a little fig tree. I forget the type it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's got little buds on the end of it. Okay. Uh, 
feeding it, or or do I need to neem oil that? Or? Well, no, you don't what need care? figs. Just don't have any problems at all. All figs want is copious water. They have shallow roots, so a mulch over the surface is good. Uh, feed them three or four times a year with granular fertilizer, or feed them once a month with liquid. Figs will be the easiest thing you've ever grown. Okay, and cottonbur uh, compost. Is that good? I like blended compost rather than single-source compost. Nothing wrong with most cottonburg compost, but I'm I'm going to use a blended compost like Ladybug or New Earth or Nature's okay. Creation are going to be my choices. Well, you're the man, Bob. I tell you, just stay on that roll. You're, you're <laughs> going for it today. Yeah, it every day, I hope. Right, it's good to talk to you. All right, back to the phone lines. Be Penny and Faye and James. Penny's up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Listen, I uh, uh, have a bed, a flower bed that's about 15 by 20. Okay. Uh, and we solarized it this summer. And um, what we did was we we um, uh, covered it 4th of July and had planned to uh, remove the cover on Labor Day. Okay. So we were looking at two hot months right there. and. Anyway, thanks to a bunch of health problems and so forth, that that plastic has never come up yet. It's still there. <laughs> Super solarized. <laughs> okay. Right. What, what I'm wondering is, um, I know, you know, uh, kind of uh, souring of vegetation under their dead vegetation. Sure. Uh, is, is there going to be a problem? if I Should I wait now until spring to pull it up? Or no. do I need to pull it up in? Would prepare the soil. Uh, this doesn't mean any hard, heavy work. I my idea of preparing the soil is putting down some fertilizer and then putting a little compost down in the areas you know that I plan to plant. The only bad thing that you took, well, the only the only good thing you got rid of, the only th- bad thing that happens when we solarize is we kill out the beneficial microbial life in the soil. The earthworms move out. They just move into surrounding soils. They'll move back in on their own. But you have, through killing the weeds, you have also killed out most of the, the good microbes. You put these back in by adding some compost, or you can just spray some compost tea around the area, or simply... You know, when you're planting your rows or your individual spots, uh, what I do is just put my organic fertilizer down and put between a cup full and a bucket full of uh, compost on top of that, and that puts the microbes back in the soil. If you do that now, even though it may be a month or six weeks before you do your spring planting, your soil will be back in great shape by the time you're ready to plant. I mean, I don't want to see any rototilling or things like that. You're just going to bring up more weed seeds and things like that. But I go and get the plastic up. I put some fertilizer and some compost down and then wait till the appropriate time and go for it. Uh, which which um, fertilizer would be the uh, easiest to apply? I would use one of the granular products and it could be okay. Medina's Growing Green, Maestro Grows Texas Tea, Nature's Creations Premium Lawn Food, Ladybug makes some good organic fertilizers. All those products are good. I'm not going to tell you one's better than the other. I would uh, shop for price and convenience. Okay. And do I need to water the fertilizer in then or is it going to it will not burn or cause any problems. It won't really work until it gets 
wet, but, you know, even the light rains, even the drizzly stuff we've had for the past week that's supposed to continue for the next week, that's going to be all the water you really need. Uh, If it's convenient to put a little more water on, that's fine, but not absolutely necessary. All right. So just fold the plastic up and put the fertilizer down, and we're good, right? And a little bit of compost, either compost or compost tea. We want to get that microbial life back in the soil. Organic fertilizer brings a little bit. The compost brings a lot. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I got my uh, next weekend planned out now. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, Penny. It's good to talk to you. Glad the health issues are getting better. Thank Thank you you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Back to the phone lines. It's going to be Faye and then James. Good morning, Faye. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. We're very saturated, as I tell you, every week down here. <laughs> well, I envy you that. I was looking. My soil's dry. It drizzles, drizzles, drizzles. And uh, if you've got good water in the ground, you're a little ahead of most of us. Well, in, in, I'm calling you about the problem part of that. Okay. And that I have a lot of large containers, well, quite a few that I grow vegetables in because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, and they're saturated, too. And I'm I'm thinking just to start seeds and all. If I bought a bag of good organic oh, uh, soil mix of some sort and put that in the top inch or two, would that help uh, my little seedlings get going? Well, what you have, what you have to sense? remember is that water doesn't kill anything. Lack of oxygen is what kills things. And if your soil is so saturated that the water has driven all the oxygen out of it, then it's not going to be a good environment for roots to grow. And if you, you know, put more soil on top of it, I mean, that's a great place to start. But until the soil improves down below, the roots aren't going to want to grow into it. And we need good, deep roots. What I would think about doing, Faye, and you can do this with most things. You can't do it with beans and peas, but most everything else is – Go ahead and start your seedlings in little trays uh, separate from the big containers that you ultimately plan to plant them in. That can be tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, okra, even squash and cucumbers will do just fine if you start them in little pots. And then work at improving that soil in those bigger pots. Drill some more holes in the bottom if you need to improve the drainage. Um, Work in something that's going to help open the soil up maybe it's lava sand maybe it's uh you know a little bit of good compost but get your seedlings started while you're working on improving the soil in those big pots and i think you'll end up with a very good garden and um well a lot better garden and uh without doing nearly so much work okay well that's i can i can do that um another question is i've got some little turnips growing uh and they're way too uh, close. Uh-huh. Do I snip snip them off or pull a pull them? Uh, I pull them up and eat them. Thick? Yeah, I oh, pull them okay. up and eat them. You know, don't let them get so big that they're going to disturb their neighbors when you pull them up. But radishes, uh, you know, turnips, things like that, those are pretty darn good greens, and they're very nutritious. And uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I guess you could snip them off and save the tops, but most of us just go through and pull them up. Oh, okay. Well, that that I don't want to waste that good nutrition <laughs> right, either. <laughs> right. And then, um, what about cornmeal? Could you go over that? I've heard so many times you've mentioned the, the kind of cornmeal to 
to buy and just what it does. Well, there there are two basic corn products, and unfortunately, they're often confused. Uh, There is basic whole ground cornmeal. And if you're getting cornmeal, you want to be sure you get the whole ground because what they sell you for baking purposes, they call it enriched, but they don't tell the full story. The way they did that is they took and polished off the outer portion of the corn where virtually all the nutrients are to begin with. They took away like 12 or 14 essential nutrients and put five of them back and called it enriched. I think that's what George Bush used to call fuzzy math. I still come out quite a few nutrients short. So you don't want the baking cornmeal. You just want stone ground, whole ground. You just basically want ground up corn. At the feed store, you might buy a little chunkier stuff they call corn chops. Uh, or any kind of corn is going to grow your trichoderma fungus, which is the the fungus that takes out the bad fungi. Now, the other form, the other corn product that you often hear about is corn gluten meal, which is not the same as corn meal. Corn gluten meal is what's left over after they take the corn syrup out of it. Uh, it's high in nitrogen. It can be used as a fertilizer. Uh, if the weather is right, and it's not been right this year, but it's if the weather's right, it will work as a natural pre-emergent herbicide. But uh, it's much more expensive, and it does not have the uh, uh, the antifungal effects nearly so much as just whole ground cornmeal. Well, that's what I wanted to understand, and that I really appreciate you going over that. Oh, that's sure. Exactly what I was asking about, and um, otherwise, I I will call you probably. Next week, well, with, uh, a few more. <laughs> you know, I'm always here and always happy to talk to you. There are plenty of things uh, it's time to do, and if you are going to grow your own things from seed, it is it is time to uh, you know to get all those seedlings started because you know we're here what ninth or tenth of uh, of uh, February and ninth the day is, and um, we're getting real close to planting time. So get those seeds started. Work at improving the soil in those pots, and um, uh, you'll be right on time. You'll grow, have a good garden this year, Faith. Well, thank you so much, Bob. You're always helpful to me. It's always my pleasure. (laughs) You get out, and if we don't talk before uh, next uh, week, have a happy Valentine's Day. Oh, (laughs) thank thank you, you, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm. Bye.